Should we start? Can I ask you about how to start a podcast? <laughs> could, could that be the intro? Sure. Right. What's up? It's Nel Medor, and I got a guest, Danny Miranda, over here today. And so since you were kind of like the upcoming podcast king, how do you start off a podcast? Are you supposed to do like a whole intro? What, what, what do you do? So for me, I think the podcast actually starts before we even press record because how comfortable someone is on camera with you is very much similar to how comfortable you make them off camera. And I've realized that the start of the interview, when you do a virtual interview is like when you see each other for the first time. Mm -hmm. And for this conversation interview, it's like, it started when you drove me from my place to the studio. <laughs> so it's like all of that. And obviously our friendship on top of that. So it's like, that makes for a different interview than with just no pre-existing knowledge about someone. But when you actually start recording, um, I think it's really about how do you make that person feel as comfortable as possible? And how do you feel as comfortable as possible with yourself in the hmm. moment? So that's how I think about starting. Yeah, because originally I recorded a couple episodes of like a video sit down podcast thing like this, by the way, a lot harder than it seems. What do you mean? I, I thought you just sit down with a bunch of guests and it's easy, right? Like <laughs> it's it, there's like a lot of steps in this. Like yeah. it's not simple. Yeah. But I think I think the way that I introduced before was like I would like mention who the person is, give the whole biography, which could be interesting, could be boring. But I think the main reason for a podcast like this, I think, is like now the clips. It's almost like the clips and the long form is secondary. It yeah. seems. Have you noticed that trend or at all? Yeah, I, I tried to push back against that to the best of my. I, what I love is the human presence and connection that comes from a podcast. And if we get clips, great. If we don't, also great. But I know that if I were to optimize everything, it would be like, how do I get clips? How do I make this happen? So, yeah, I think it, it's really dependent on what you're trying to get out of the conversation. Okay. Well, so without doing a full intro, I think we could like. If I, if I ever share this, I'll put the intro on like the tweet, on the blog post, and then just go straight in the video Love instead that. of wasting a bunch of time. But uh, you've done like 400 podcasts in the last three years. I found something interesting you said. You said from episode 150 to 250, you didn't think it would work out. So what switch at episode 250 that you went back and like, you're like, hey, now it's going to work. Yeah. Just so the metrics or what? It, so it's so interesting because it was... I said 150 to 250, but I really say it's probably more like 125 to 228. And the reason for that is 228 was my first in-person interview. And mm. I did it with your friend, my friend, Noah Kagan at his house. Ah. And because it was my first in-person interview, I could see the way in which he actually was changed by the questions that I was asking. And it felt different in a real meaningful way. And it felt like I could finally understand what I was doing. I was helping people see themselves more clearly and I could see how they were, someone else was affected by the questions. And so after that, I felt more at peace with what I was doing, but really from like 120, because what happened at 125 was like, I'm doing this a hundred times, but no one cares. I thought like, if you do it a hundred times, then it'll work out. That's Be the advice you always hear. Yeah. Everyone always says that. And so when I got to 125, I'm like, but it's still not working. And so when I hit that point, it really made me think to myself, do I want to do this or do I not? And I just stuck with it and it worked out. And so when you say it's not working, I'm, I'm assuming you're looking at metrics over there. It's like you're looking at the YouTube views or the numbers or something like that. It's just like not moving. Yeah, exactly. And it was just like, where's the audience? If you do it a hundred times, don't you get an audience from this? And what was cool is that I wasn't doing it for the audience. And so I, I didn't think about that until I'd done it a hundred times. And then I was like, oh, wait, I actually, I would love people to listen to this too. But it, it started because I myself wanted to just connect with people and learn from people. It started with phone calls For, on Twitter. I put, who wants to talk on the phone as a tweet in July of 2020. And then in August of 2020, I said, I'm going to record these phone calls. And then I said, I'm, I'm going to publish these phone calls. Uh, I mean, Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this all. I've seen him mention this a million times. He's just like, everyone should start a podcast. <laughs> and whenever he says, someone says something very superlative like that, like everyone should start a podcast, I always think like it's kind of stupid at first. Then I think about it. I'm like, what's the downsides? Yeah. There, there's not many downsides to it. Have you noticed just podcasting that you get other ancillary benefits besides just views and stuff? I'm assuming, let, let me guess. I'm assuming 80% of your relationships come from podcast guests. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And and it's 
it's such a, for me, I love people and I love people that I'm interested in. I'm interested in you. I'm interested in the internet. I'm interested in how the world works. And I get such a good understanding from talking to so many different people. So the question is, should everyone start a podcast? My answer is no, but my answer is also like, everyone should try. Everyone should try to start a podcast and do six episodes and see if it's for them. A lot of people like to quote the statistic, do seven episodes and well, after seven episodes, 90% of people stop podcasting. And of those people, of there's <laughs> people get to episode 20 and 90% of those who went made it to episode seven, they stop. And and people say that as like a down downside of podcasting. And to me, that's like, that's great that those people found out or figured out it wasn't for them. But I think that everyone should try because it's remarkable. The pe- You change what you say when you're in front of a microphone in a slight way that makes you more, it's more serious. And you could understand yourself better by virtue of just getting on camera and, and talking. Yeah, from the podcast, this the proper sit-down podcast, in-person ones I've done, it's almost like selfish in a way mm-hmm. that I'm just like, I want to talk to this person because I'm actually curious about something. For example, I'm interested about podcasts. You do a lot of podcasts. Like there's something to learn from there. Um, everyone I've had, it's almost like almost like a selfish reason. Like I just want to ask you a bunch of questions. And because we're on camera, you're probably going to answer me. Yes. And you're going to answer me well. Yes. It almost seems like that. It's almost like, uh, is it like free consulting? Well, it's like <laughs> win, win, win. It's a win for you. It's a win for the other person because you're allowing the other person to one, spread their message, but also to understand themselves better by virtue of you asking questions to them. And it's a win for the person watching or listening. How could you get upset at something that's a win, win, win? Hmm. Also, um, uh, I posted a random thing before and it was just like the Linkarati, the new Linkarati are podcasters. Yeah. Explain what Linkarati is. The Linkarati, I think it was coined by Michael Arrington of TechCrunch like way back in the day. And it was the early days of SEO and people were like, oh, if you get links from other websites, you go hire an SEO and you, and, and you rank at the top of search results, which back then was like the penultimate thing. And so the way that you did that was like you hang out with the Linkarati and the Linkarati would hang out at certain conferences like South by Southwest back in the day because Mashable, all the big blogs of that era were there and they would likely write about you if you were there. And so the way to get links was like, just be where the Linkarati are. And I think about who's the Linkarati now? Who, who, who links out stuff? It's podcasters, I think, right? Yeah. That, wait, who else? Wait, so Linkarati was a group of people or it was it was a score or metric? Okay. If you're trying to get a link from someone, like a blog, like yeah. a high-end blog, how do you do that? You hang out with the person who writes those articles. Yeah. Or you get to know them or for some have a relationship with that person. Because if you have a person with Joe Bob who doesn't have a website, he is not going to ever link you because he cannot. Yeah. And so that was one of the the ways to do high search engine traffic is just hang out with those people. I mean, I was I was uh my original claim to fame on the internet was I was a financial blogger and I was one of the first people to openly discuss my finances. There was like one other guy, but he was a pseudonym. He didn't say who he was. Built in public Neville. It was built in public for the year 2000. Exactly. Uh-huh. That's what it was. It was like you go on your blog and talk about how much, you know, I made $12 from AdSense on a website. That's what I was doing. It was like college. And, and I would go to these uh, events like called FinCon and FinCon was all the other financial bloggers. And you would, what people would do was write because he didn't have social media at the time, you would write a blog post about FinCon and you'd be like, I hung out with my friend, Matt Kepnis. He actually runs a travel blog. I hung out with my friend, blah, 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 PT money. And you, you, Mr. Money mustache. And you would link all these people. And that's how you get the links. Wow. That was the Linkarati. And I think the new Linkarati is podcast people. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And what's cool about what you talked about is like, you're just having experiences and then documenting those experiences. And so this is about podcasting too, in a sense of like, I'm just talking to people and documenting those conversations about talking to those people and learning from them. And I think there's so much juice if you're living an interesting life or if you're just doing things, it could be interesting. And so I think uh, there's there's such a value in putting that out there so more people can see it and experience it. Interesting. Um, I got. I have a lot of questions about podcasting, <laughs> Let's <go>. by the way. <laughs> Let's go. Um, you mentioned that YouTube was one of the highest leverage activities for your show. Mm. Um but I think your podcast gets way more downloads than your YouTube. I see this. I see this on Twitter all the time. I, I follow you, of course, and I see all the your all your followers are always like your 
downloads on YouTube is, is such a big discrepancy between your podcast downloads. So like way more people listen to you on audio, I presume. Yeah. So what, what it is, is like the base is higher on audio, mm-hmm. but the, like the minimum that I'll get on an audio episode is higher, but the exponential, like the Alex Ramosi episode has way more YouTube video views than it does podcast downloads mm. because the algorithm just shares it with more people who enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an interesting thing to think about. And that's why I think it's my highest leverage place for growth because- yeah, Podcast has no built-in virality. Exactly. If 100,000 people listen to your podcast right now, it doesn't do anything. Correct. I mean, I mean it doesn't show it to more people. If 100,000 people in one hour view your YouTube video with Alex Hormozzi, YouTube goes, whoa, there's something here. Let's show this to a lot more people outside of his audience. Exactly. And so that's why I believe it's my biggest place for growth because Hmm. of that. Yeah. I remember like uh, Sam and Sean from My First Million, they went to YouTube for this exact reason. Yeah. Like they just liked doing the audio podcast, but you have to, you can't deny that YouTube is where you get the growth from. Yes. Yeah. There's also some sort of special connection when you watch this. I don't know about you, but I watch podcasts or I listen to podcasts and watch podcasts all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, almost every, like when I'm in the shower, all sorts of, I have a, like a, a steady list of podcasts I watch and I watch them on both mediums. I watch them on YouTube and uh podcast. So sometimes I'll watch like, I'll watch one of yours on YouTube and then be like, all right, I got to go where I can't watch a screen. I'm going to be driving. I pull it up on my podcast player and then scroll to that spot and start again. Wow. So I thought I was getting all these views and now you're just telling me that you're doing both. <laughs> well, it could be. I mean, it, it's, it's difficult to tell. Yeah. Like, what, what, what does a view mean, right? Yeah. But there is something, but do you track your audio and it just, is it just like a steady march upward over yes. time as you put out more? Yes, that's, yeah, that's just precisely. More people. It's just like, it's slowly rising and you're just like, all right, I guess I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. The podcast, I think the variance in downloads is very little in terms of like, if you slowly march up, it just, it's just a slow chart. Whereas I think YouTube can be a little more erratic. Yes. It, I mean, you stop posting and it could drop dramatically yes. or you hit a, a, a an awesome video like your Alex Hormozzi thing. It could go through the roof. Yes. Yeah, And so that's why I continue to post videos and that's why I think it's the biggest place for growth because I'm like, if I have five more of those Alex Hormozzi episodes, mm-hmm. great things are going to happen. And it, my podcast is going to be shown to people who the, the less viewed episodes today are going to be shown to people because they get into the ecosystem of enjoying how I ask questions. What, how many clips are you watching a day? Are you, are you doing, are you scrolling on clips? Are you scrolling on Instagram clips? On 60 second shorts? Uh, yeah, any any platform. No, I don't I, at all. Really? Yeah. What? I Are don't you even like Gen X or whatever. I, I, I might be the only person I know who doesn't watch uh vertical videos. Wow. That seems that that is unusual. I yes. Say. Okay. It it definitely is unusual. And because of that, I have less um knowledge of how it works. I mean, I post vertical clips because I know a lot of people like that, but to me, I feel like it's taking my brain away. And it's taking my presence away. And I'm like, my presence, people think my research is the superpower. I believe it's the presence. And anything that zaps the presence away is something that I don't want to deal with. And I felt I felt in the past, w- consuming the short form clips are taking my presence away because I get so into that algorithm and it, it changes the way my brain works. Mm. And so I, I'm nervous about doing that. Hmm. When you say presence, what do you what do you mean by that specifically? The ability to be here with you right now and not be in a different place. Hmm. Like to actually listen to the words you're saying. Hmm. That to me is what I feel like I bring to the table. Like if you look at one hour, 12 minutes and 59 seconds in my Alex Ramosi episode, you'll see me ask him something that is only based on his reaction. And that was, to me, the most insightful part of the episode. When we talk about, you know, he changed, his mood changes and his complexion changes. And if I was so worried about what the next thing he was going to say was, I wouldn't have asked the question of like, dude, your mood changed. What happened? And that comes from presence. And that, to me, is what makes me so excited about podcasting, is the ability to be there with someone, to actually hear them, because most of us aren't hearing each other. We're just scrolling through the feeds in our head or Mm -hmm. playing our favorite podcaster in our head. Instead of just being. That's weird. I love clips. Now, of course. And They're I'm not, fun. there's nothing wrong with clips. And I, I love clips too for people to understand things quicker, but they rob me of my presence. That's mm. all. 
Man, you have you have a lot of self-control to not get into those clips. It's it's weird. It's like I, I think people like to bash social media and clips are kind of like, oh, it's like no no attention span. It's also like I feel like instead of an hour in my generation in 2000 watching one video, you could just say, well, I don't have anything to do right now. I'll scroll for an hour and be be exposed to like 40 different things, which is which is also kind of cool in a way. Absolutely. I think it's awesome for some people. And I but another part of it is I, I like choosing mm. like. I like the ability, okay, I like what this title says, or give me 10 options, and mm -hmm. I like the the feeling of I can control whether I click this or not. So I do watch clips that are like five minutes long, but I, I don't really go too deep on the... Or I do watch the shorts if I can have an option of 10 and be like, okay, I want to, I want my brain to be here now. So that's just my perspective on it. But I mean, I don't look at it, I don't look down upon anyone who watches clips or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, w one of your interviews I liked was the Justin Kahn one. He's the guy who made Twitch and sold it and all that stuff. Yeah. And he's a, he seems to be a practical woo woo, <laughs> it, which I categorize our, our buddy, Alex, uh, uh I, I, Alex Hardy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I say he's a practical woo woo <laughs> where he's like kind of spiritual and like hippy dippy, but not all the way. Yes. Um, integrated Alex on Instagram. <laughs> maybe he's all the way i don't know but but he, i'd say you're you're kind of like that you're yeah. like a little less than he is i think you're very like spiritualish, mm -hmm. but not like full woo woo you're still quite practical um i, I really like so I, I don't even know if this is a question it's there's more just like a statement more than anything um i'm like the opposite i hate all that stuff <laughs> I, I, I hate it but i like I like aspects of it. It's, it's like 20 years ago, I feel like people made fun of anything like whole foods, organic foods. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, that stuff's dumb. And now it's like, everyone eats it, yeah. right? So I always think that, okay, whatever I think like woo-woo weirdo hippie people are doing, in 20 years, a form of it will be 100% normalized. Wow. So that's why that's why I don't always like, I'm like, oh, these weirdo hippies, <laughs> whatever, they're, they're doing weird shit. It's, it's stupid. But I'm also like... I bet something about this, there's a kernel inside of what they're doing that's going to be normalized. Yeah. And so that's why I always like pay attention to it and try not to dismiss it too much. Y you have that kind of like very like a heart centered yes. kind of interviewing attitude. And I felt like he did too. And I think that made it a really good interview. Yeah. I really like that one. I appreciate you saying that. I think something Tom Bill you said a while ago really stands out is like, it's about, you know how styles make fights in boxing or MMA styles make fights. Meaning like you could have one person who's a kickboxer, another person who's a boxer and the kickboxer may win. But if the kickboxer goes against the wrestler, then the kickboxer might lose. And it has nothing to do necessarily with their skill. It has to do with their style. The point is podcast is that way too. And interviewing is that way too. Styles make interview interviews as well. So you could have one smart person and another really smart person, but they could just not be on the same flow or same connection. Mm. But sometimes it works out where two people are coming at something from slightly different ways that really meshes well together. So yeah, I think that that happened for Justin Kahn. And it, it's, it's interesting when that happens, where you really are aligned with someone based on what you're bringing in and what the other person is bringing in. And it, it creates a, a wonderful exchange. Yeah, my most viral tweet I ever did was I took a, a clip of Lex Friedman interviewing Elon Musk, and I think everyone had the same experience if they're listening on audio. They thought their their podcast thing had stopped, it broke because there was a full twenty one seconds. I actually counted it down to the millisecond, twenty one seconds of dead ass silent air, where he asked Elon Musk a question about like when are they going to go to Mars, and Elon Musk just like pause. Like you, even on the video, you're like. Tap, tap, tap. Is this thing working? And he paused. And I was just like, wow, that was so cool that he just let him think. The ability to sit with silence is one of the most important skills as an interviewer because mm. it is indirectly telling the person you're talking to, I have enough trust in you that you're going to figure this out. Think about that. Like, to really sit with that and think about, like, wow, you are telling the other person. We're, we're, I'm good to wait as long as you are. And some of my best moments have happened. And I, I learned from that. You posted that in 2020, I believe. Mm. And I, I saw that and I was like, there's really something here. If go to episode 404 of my podcast with David Perel, it's a 30 second pause. When I ask him, what's the central question of your life? That's a deep question to start with. And if you have that deep question, I could have easily said, well, like, it's okay. Like you, you might not know, or, but I just 
What's the central question of your life? 30 seconds. Is, is this like the new competition who has the longest pause? It wasn't about a competition. <laughs> it was just about sitting there and, and letting him come to his own conclusions mm. and letting the audience too think for themselves of like, what, what's the central question of my life? And it takes confidence to do that. And it speaks to your own ability to just sit with nothingness, <laughs> which I learned from meditation, right? And that is what has led to the more heart opening and heart centered being, which I never had before, never resonated with at all. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I noticed that with a lot of my friends that are like typical San Francisco types, meaning like a little Asperger's, uh, like slight autism, what you would call autism. A lot of them, a lot of them, they're not good at conversation in a large group. So you have to let them think and they'll say something very profound, very smart, but you have to let them think for a while. And I, and I actually, I can run a million miles per hour in a conversation and I think I still do it and I'm better than I was before, but I would be able to bulldoze anyone. <laughs> and I, I thought when I was a, a young person that like, that's keeping the conversation alive. And then I realized like, oh, sometimes just people, they, they'll let me talk because they're just nice and, and they just, they, they don't want to over talk over you. Mm. And so I learned to keep my mouth shut for a while. And one of the ways I do that is I, I bite my tongue for 10 seconds. Really? Yeah. I do. I do it all the time till this day. Wow. I'll, I'll, I'll do it with, um, in my own relationship. And when someone's talking, I, my brain is firing so fast. That, like I have a, a million things to say to add to this. I have some really good stories on this and I, and I'll, I'll, I'll bite my tongue in a way that you can't see. And I'll kind of just put some pressure on my tongue to be like, count to 10, let them, let them get it out. Cause, cause, cause I've got rapid fire coming. I was going to say your brain moves so fast and it's probably one of your gifts and your unique skills. And then you're forced to sit with the silence. You're like, I can't stop this. It just goes, goes, goes. Yeah, yeah, I can control it pretty easy, but I'm just like, I have so much stuff I can add over here, but I'm just like, let them, let them also get something out too. And I, I, I'm sure you've been in conversations at a party where someone, some idiot guy just keeps dominating the conversation. And I'm like, I really want to hear that, her speak. Mm -hmm. Like she's about to say something good, but you keep button in. Well, well, part of being a good interviewer is being able to redirect the ball wherever you want it to go. And the ball is where the focus of conversation is. And so if you're in that situation, how do you get the ball on the other person that you want to hear from? That That's an interesting thing to me because that's something that we could, all could use in our day-to-day -day life. Oh, like the hot potato thing where yeah. it's just like, like they, they throw some little tchotchke around, like whoever has the pen gets a talk. Yeah. But like that is happening in conversation at all times. Hmm. It's different. Like with different friends, you, you mentioned you mentioned uh, Noah Kagan. Me and Noah, I don't know that we sit there and have like quiet conversations. Me and him have very fast banter. <laughs> of course, you it's do. very fast banter. There's a lot of a uh, lot of jokes involved. Anytime someone says something even remotely innuendo, it's called out immediately. There's just different types of conversation. Uh, you mentioned David Perel. David Perel's a very like deep introspective kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, I'd say a very different personality than Noah. And I, I could see him having like a 30 second pause. I, here's my David Perel impression. Maybe like that. <laughs> I could see him pausing for 30 seconds totally. and then talking about Thoreau or something like that. <laughs> totally. Was. I guess it just depends on the, the, the two people's uh, energy, yeah. what they think about, how quickly they think, you know, and it's also fascinating to me. And I've seen it firsthand with so many different people. Yeah. Here's a question uh, I'm curious about. Um, why do you think people listen to podcasts? Mm -hmm. I, I, I sometimes think I'm like, what, what is this akin to? Because I think I listen to all these podcasts, yours included, like the art of manualists. I listen to Noah's, I listen to Sam and Sean, my first million, um, planet money. I listen to uh, there's one called good billionaire, bad billionaire. There's a, there's a bunch of them. I almost feel like they're free courses, like they're free online courses that are easy to absorb because they're told in a narrative form. And I'm just like, I think I learn more from podcasts than almost any other place. And I pay $0 for all of them. So I don't, I don't join the Patreons. I don't do anything. Maybe occasionally I'll buy something that they recommend or something like that. Um, and of course they're making money off of me with some form of advertising. So there's some of that going on, but, uh, why do you think people listen to podcasts? I don't know if that's too vague of a question. No, I think it's a great question. Actually, I was reviewing episode 416 with Dr. Michael Gervais last night, which I just published today. And we talked about how podcasts are the modern church in some sense. Mm. And it's where people go to get information and get knowledge and to learn about how the world works. And I was like, I've never considered that before. But that seems true. Like that feels true in that it's it's way more common amongst kids and it's way more common amongst people trying to be better humans in some way. 
And I don't know, I don't know what exactly that means for society or if that's good or bad, but I just feel like that's, that's what's happening. Interesting. It, it, you know what I always thought about it? It's just like, this always blows my mind because when I was in high school to hear the kinds of conversations, like between like Mark Zuckerberg and Mark Andreessen talking or something like that, like these two very high level, like billionaires, you didn't hear that ever. Right. That, that wasn't a thing. Right. Like maybe on 60 Minutes, Barbara Walters would interview like some guy for two and seconds. And it was fake. It wasn't yeah. real. Yeah. It wasn't like what they would actually say and how they would actually say it. No, it was like a promotion. There's there's a press people and stuff. Now it's just like two people hanging out. Like Lex Friedman goes and talks to Elon Musk and you're like, this is just like them in a room just chatting. And, and I don't understand people who would look at that and be like, I don't want to learn from that. Or like, there's nothing to learn from that. I'm like, How? It's the same way about, like, I'm sure how David Senra feels about autobiographies and biographies. It's like the most brilliant people in the world write down their thoughts. How are we not looking at that and studying that and, and getting excited about it? And I feel that way about the interviews that I get to do. I'm like, I'm so grateful that this is my experience, that someone is taking their time to give their thoughts in this way to help more people be better. Well, I can understand. So I used to read a tremendous amount of biographies and autobiographies mm -hmm. about people. And I would, I would read literally whole sections, uh, racks at, the, at my library. And I couldn't believe, I was just like, all the knowledge is right here. It's just, it's like for free. And I can understand why people wouldn't sit down and read a whole biography. It is hard. Yeah. Okay. It's hard to read 400 pages. It's hard to get the book, especially go to other countries. It's not like that's just like readily available back in the day. Yeah. Now with podcasts, you could just kind of like be in the shower and listen to two billionaires talking to each other completely like candidly, which is you're literally like a fly in the on the wall in, in one of these rooms. And it just seems like really crazy that podcasters aren't richer. I think like Joe Rogan was maybe like the first one, but I have a feeling that like the big podcasters are providing so much value out to the world. Um, I'd say like in a way kind of being substitute fathers for certain people or mothers or, mm -hmm. or sage advice people uh, for so many different people. It's, it's just weird that just like podcasters are still in this phase of just like, I hope I could get a, you know, simply green subscription. <laughs> uh, so well, speaking of, go ahead. Yeah. Well, on that point, I feel like we're less than 20 years into this. Like look at the NBA 20 years into the NBA, right? The players, what are we in 1950 in the NBA? If you compare, if you make the same comparison, or 1970, what were people getting paid in 1970 to be NBA players versus what people are getting paid in 2020? It's almost like a side hobby for them. Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And and I think that is going to happen with podcasters as well. And obviously, I'm biased in that. But what do you think, as someone who is so deeply in the world of media? Is that, do you think that's a correct comparison about sports players to podcasters or creators in general? The person that's providing the value eventually gets the money, but I think some people are in the wrong era. Mm. Um, I don't think we've hit, so, okay, so crypto, uh, I'm very excited about micropayments. I said, this is a slight tangent, but getting back to the point, I think technology enables all these new things. For example, I think Tim Ferriss started his podcast in what, 2010? Uh, so something like that. 2014. But okay. Yeah. So not even 10 years ago. And when Tim Ferriss started a podcast, people were like, I don't know if you remember this. I don't. But people were like, what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? Giving away all this stuff for free? Like, what What are you doing? It oh, was wow. it was considered a stupid, weird move. Wow. Yeah. Because it just wasn't like podcast was like, it was just like Steve Jobs put like pod, you know, podcast because iPod. Yes. Like it was kind of coined like that, just like as a place to put some of these things. Joe Rogan was still getting started. These are, this is such a, you, you're very right. It's a very new industry. And I don't think the actual rewards are going to the proper places at the moment. Just the, the, the channels, the pipes aren't built in. They're starting to become built in. Right. I think recording is a lot easier. You can honestly do this on an iPhone, a couple of iPhones. Now um, this whole setup, this, takes a little bit more, but eventually that'll be completely like, just be super easy. And then the other thing is, I think there's a couple different things that are going to change. Um, recently, like Spotify's introduced their voice changing thing. So we can be uh, speaking in Hindi with our lips and everything. And someone in India who doesn't really understand English too well can listen to this for free in a different language. Translated. Of the, of the, for, yeah, yeah. Instantly. So, so now instead of just the United States, which is still obviously a big market, but we're now open to the entire world. Right. Or some guy in a village in the Netherlands, like whatever country can now be exposed to the entire world too. But he just spoke, speaks this very niche language that we didn't understand before. So I think there's a, there's this huge opportunity that's about to still come. The other thing is, I think the micropayments are going to be big. Mm -hmm. Whenever you're able to pay someone a billionth of a cent, 
and wow. it automatically happens, that's going to be big. So for example, I mentioned, I listen to all these podcasts. I pay for none of them. I don't give any of these people any money at all, but I get the most amount of value and joy out of these, these podcasts. And the only way they can make money is like to charge a subscription. And I'm like, I don't want to pay 29 bucks a month for fucking planet money plus. I'm like, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I, I know I could, but I'm not. Yeah. And it's just like, what if I just tipped the internet five bucks? And, and, and my browser just automatically splits it, right? There's some things like this, like the Brave browser that are going to do that. But I think the channels, the mediums, the, uh, the, 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 the payment transfers are going to get better and better and better. And at some point, podcasters or people who are like getting a lot of views are going to make a lot of money directly off their audience rather than indirectly like they do now. So for example, uh, My First Million, where do they make all their money? HubSpot. They got bought by HubSpot. HubSpot pays them a salary plus some, some commission structure, right? That's how they make their money. They don't make it off of you and me who listen. They actually make it indirectly. Um, you, my buddy Jordan Harbinger has a podcast and he makes his money off of, you know, Hello HelloFresh subscriptions or whatever, but he doesn't make any money off of me. And I think that will change at some point. It's got to. It always goes that way. Like, it always it has that gone that way for the past 50 years in media. Where it's become more and more direct. It, circa the year 2000, I remember like the internet was like stagnant. And then what kicked it off, what jumpstarted it, what turbocharged it was a little thing called Google AdSense. You can now have an article where you used to be able to like not want people to link your website sometimes like your images because it costs money oh and it sucked God. away your bandwidth. You had to pay for it. Like it's just like another era, right? And then as soon as you got like paid for all those visits, now it's like a different game. Now you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Send me a lot more traffic, right? So that really kickstarted the internet. I still think we're at this moment where like we haven't even experienced that yet. I mean, I, I was thinking last night about like how seven years, seven years ago, I don't know why seven years, because I was, I was doing research for someone and it was seven years ago that I was watching their video and I was trying to place myself in their shoes seven years ago in 2016 while they were doing daily or weekly vlogs. And remember like daily or weekly vlogs being a something that was important at that time. Yeah. And it's like- <laughs> Casey Neistat yeah, era. Yeah, Casey Neistat made that wave and Gary Vaynerchuk had his weekly vlog. And I'm just like, I just don't see people doing that in that same way anymore. And like, how will we look back on it in 2030? And then like, when you go 2016 to 2009, those were different worlds of media. And then it's like, where's this going? And it's just like, seven years to me is like enough times where you can remember how it felt like in that moment, but it's also not so far ago. And yeah, man, I was just thinking about that. I mean, basically everything you do now is going to look like old dinosaur shit in 15, 20 years. Dude, maybe less. Talk about the chat GPT thing that freaked you out or like blew your mind. The voice, the voice, the voice feature. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. It's like, there's no change at all in chat GPT. It just talks to you. It's like Siri. Which is what Gary Vaynerchuk was talking about in 2016, 2017 of like how audio is going to dominate everything. Well, so I, I've been using it, like my mind's still blown from it, but like anything you get used to it, but it's kind of interesting. I was, I was going for a walk yesterday. It's just so nice in Austin yesterday. I was walking around headphones in, I enabled the like always on chat GPT feature or whatever, and you can have a conversation back and forth. So I was walking around clear night and I was just like, I'm doing it. I actually asked it this. I was like, I'm doing a podcast interview. What are some tips? And it gave me chat GPT style tips. And I was like, oh, you could be a little more specific. And I said, I'm interviewing Danny Miranda. And it knows who you are because you're on the web. So it did all the research about you and told me all these different things of what you're known about and what I should ask about. And like, was I listening to everything? No. Was I taking notes on every single thing? Were some of them generic? Sure. But overall, I was just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this is this is what he's known for. I should I should focus on these types of things. And then you can and then it stops and then I can ask it another question. And it was weird. It's like listening to a personalized podcast. Wow. So instead of someone listening to this and listening to Neville and Danny talk about whatever we want to talk about, you could say, give give me some tips from my life. Here's my scenario. What should I do about it? And it'll give you a bunch of tips. And out of the eight to 15 things that spouts out, maybe one of them really stands out and you go, oh yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah. Um, and and um, so I'm wondering like, where, where does that go? That's a, that's a very interesting question. Like this might look like dinosaur stuff in 10 years. Oh, yeah. it's got to, right? If you look at 10 years ago and where we were, right? It, where, what was 10 years ago? 2013 in media? Like the, the iPhone coming out. Yeah. Well, the iPhone came out 2007, but like, like the iPhone 3G was really the point where I think I noticed everyone had a phone. Mm. That was when it was widespread and the internet was fast enough. Cause like the iPhone came out, but like the iPhone was a piece of shit 
back then. Wow. Like it was, it was very slow. Everything was slow about it. It wasn't useful um, to the degree it is now. So it, like we're still in the infancy. Also, um, if you look at some of the Mark Zuckerberg, Lex Friedman interview where they use like the headsets to use, I was just like, well, that's not perfect yet, but damn, that's really good already. And the reaction, I couldn't feel their reaction, obviously, when I was watching that, but their reaction or Lex's reaction to using it for the first time was like, oh my God, if this becomes widespread, this is going to change. Well, I've, I've been the, my friends, friend groups demonstrator of VR for like the longest time. I've always had the, like the latest VR stuff. And, um, and it was mainly useful for games, but one of the funny things I noticed about VR, like the, the mind blowing moment was whenever I would give people the demo. This is the Oculus Quest demo, just like the free demo that comes on how to use it. And it puts you in a room and you could pick stuff up and people are like, what the, f- what, what? <laughs> and, and then, and then the cool thing is when they first take the goggles off and go like they're switching worlds yeah. and it's the first time they've ever done that in their entire life where they're in a different world and they go back and forth and it just blows their mind and that they see like a whale floating above them and that they could touch it. And like, um, and the other weird, weird feature that really blows people's minds, which is actually just a safety feature on the met, the meta quest. If you walk through your boundary, you could create a boundary, like a virtual boundary. Uh-huh. So you don't hit anything in the room. Uh-huh. If you walk through the boundary, it shows you real life. Oh. And, and that, that is the, one of the things where people are like, what? Like, why is like, that so shocking? I've never done it. That's what, that's why it's, that's why it's funny. Cause you're in a different world Then all of a sudden, like this, this cage, it's a virtual cage shows up saying like, Hey, you're close to something in real life. Don't go here. And if you go through it, it it's called pass through where it show the cameras, the, the sensor cameras show through and you can actually walk around and have a conversation with someone with this big box on your face. It's hilarious. And people are just like, I'm in the real world, but I'm still in a virtual world. They're not actually seeing the real world. They're just seeing a camera still. That, that's one of those mind blowing things. And, and every time I, I think of that, I'm just like, that is going to be the future. This like showing up to a location, me picking you up in my car. This might be like a thing that you tell your future kids. Like she, back in my day, Neville like, drove to the studio. Yeah, we like drove to a place. <laughs> Wait, he drove? Wait, I don't get it. Like yeah, the computer he, he knew how, he knew how to drive. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. So okay, wow, we took a nice little VR tangent there. But it, okay, I want to ask you about this the the advertising thing. Yeah, like uh, how do you make money on your podcast? Yeah, I I never enjoyed the idea of advertising on my podcast, except if it was things that I myself would tell you, my friend, to do or to check out, because that's how I view the relationship that I'm forming with someone in their ears. So. Because of that, I never wanted to go that route. How I've made money in the past through the podcast is through consulting, helping other people build their own podcast, start a podcast, introduce them to guests, introduce them to cool people, um, review their interviews, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I'm not really enjoying that aspect of doing this. Why not? Because I'm not building any value. I do this once, the service for you, and I can't I don't have it anywhere. I can't capture it. I can't sell it again. And so this is all Jack Butcher's thing of build one, sell twice, which you've done tremendously with copywriting course. And mm-hmm. it's like, for me, I was, I basically was like, all right, I got to take all the resources that I'm teaching to in the consulting and just put them out there once and do it once and then sell it as many times as I can, as many people are interested in, in buying it. So that's kind of how it's gone with the monetization. I've had some sponsors, My First Million, Arthi and Sri Ram's Good Time Show, but I've I've never like enjoyed that model or thought that that's the the model that I wanted to go down. Hmm. So speaking of digital products, you recently released a course, right? Yes. W- w- tell me about that. Artofinterviewing.com. I'm so excited by it. It's like, <laughs> it's everything I've learned in the past three years, if not longer. I've spent 3,000 hours I, you know, on YouTube Premium, you could you could see how many hours you've spent mm-hmm. on on just listening to stuff or watching stuff. Mine was like twelve hundred hours of YouTube Premium mm. in the past three years, and then I was like, all right, well, I've also listened on Spotify and Apple. So let's say in total, I've spent three thousand hours learning how to have conversations, how to have interviews, and. I was like, wow, that's a lot of time. Okay. And I've also done the actual work for over 400 episodes. So I put all that into resource, everything I've learned, and I'm like, I'm high on it. I, I love it so much. I've sold um, 78 copies of, of Art of Interviewing in the first mm-hmm. three weeks, which is over $20,000 in sales. 
And I'm like, this is amazing. People are loving it. I'm loving it. I know how to make it better. And I love the everything I'm building. So I'm very excited by it. Nice. Welcome to the digital products world. It was about time, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. A lot of people are like, why do all these people that are big sell a course? I'm like, because economically you cannot beat this business model. If you can do it, if you can get away with selling a digital product that requires no additional work for every unit sold, that is the ultimate economic model. So if, if, you know, you see Oprah selling some sort of digital course at some point, it's just like, because it's easy. Yeah. And it, and it's makes the most sense economically. And I'm like, I'm so excited by the possibility of helping so many people. And that's kind of what I had to get over for like six months prior. I knew I should do a course, but I didn't feel, I felt insecure about it. I was like, who am I? What have I done? You know, I just interview people. I just ask some questions, but then, you know, it took enough people to really stare me in the face and be like, you're a great interviewer. You're a great interviewer over and over and over again to the point where I was like, all right, I, I have something to teach you. What are your plans to expand upon that? Um, on the course? Mm -hmm. I want to do more live breakdowns of specific moments from my own interviews and other people of like, look at how this person did this and look at what they did and why they did it. And this is so incredible and we should study this. Um, I want to do a live overview as I'm researching for someone, because a lot of people comment on my research. That's the thing that people say over and over again. I want to do a breakdown of like, what am I doing here? Here's the live play-by-play. -play. Here's me at the computer. Here's what I'm typing into Twitter. Here's what I'm typing into Google. This is why I'm picking out certain things. This is how I'm adding it to my sheet. So I kind of want to do that as well. Um, and really just continue to, to add to the ways in which people are excited by it and, and continue to take the feedback in. So those like were two things that I'm like so excited to add in November, but I'm open to ideas and feedback as well. Nice. Uh, I've got I've gone through it all with digital pro also clients. I get to see like what what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. So I imagine what ha I think what happens with digital products is generally there's like this big increase, like it, because this is the first thing you've ever launched. Yes. So people are super excited, and then after a while, like there's there's like a bit of a, a wane. Yes. As people as your audience has gone through it, and then the other way to make money is, is launch another product, right? So it's just like how to do podcast, whatever, some tangential product, and then what ha happens is people start to release too many products and it gets confusing. Yeah. Because it sounds like a lot of your products are going to be around interviewing, around podcasting, around that subject. It's interesting because I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Like I have so many ideas now for things that I've not mastered, but things that I have a good grip on mm -hmm. in life that don't really have to do with podcasting. Mm. Um, maybe, maybe it will, but I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I view... And the reason why I didn't do a podcasting course is because I view what I'm doing as bigger than than podcasting. Mm. And that's why interviewing felt more aligned with me. But yeah, man, I it's it's a really hard thing for me. It's been a hard thing of understanding myself and understanding myself enough of it. This is how I want to be perceived. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, th there's the other thing where it's like you could do a cohort. Yeah. A cohorts are big. They were especially big during the pandemic where that, that was that was definitely like needed. I think cohorts are good. There's a couple, uh, Dickie Bush, ship 30 for 30. Uh, David Perel is always a great answer of it. Tiago Forte mm -hmm. does cohorts, those types of things. There's course, and there's also community. That's another thing I've seen people add as like a, like a tangential side benefit to their courses, but then that becomes the thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like you would actually be good at that for some reason. At community. At some sort of community. I'm not sure what it should be centered on yeah. yet, but I imagine some sort of podcasting interviewing thing would probably be uh, one of the things, but some sort of community. And why I, do you think I'd be good at that? I mean, because you love connecting with people. I think that yeah. at, at its core, like the leader of a community should be genuinely interested, right? <laughs> yeah. So a lot of people start communities because the economics could be good. Yeah. They, they can be good if you have a successful community, but to have a successful community, you have to like, you know, really be in there. Feed into it. Yeah. You almost have to want to do it for free. Yes. Like- yeah. Like most things that end up working out, you probably have to want to do it for free. Yeah. Actually, when I started uh, blogging online, the people that are still around, like like Ramit Sethi, yes. he's an example of one of these people that he was just like some dork at Stanford that was putting out money advice. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, no one read it. And then it got bigger and bigger over time. But he really just loved doing that. For yes. some reason, this just appealed to him so much. And, and he just stuck with it because he was the one doing it for free. Yes. And then later it turns out, it turns out you could actually monetize this to some degree. Yes. Yeah. So I think you would be good at something like that. I appreciate you saying that. And I'm curious to know, like, what, how do you do a community well? 
Um, I, I've been running a community for about, I think three years. I've had some form of forums and stuff like that. Um, so here, how about to answer that? How to do community? Well, let's look at other communities that are doing well. Um, people are starting more and more communities. The reason is I think the technology is there. Mm. You could do Slack community. So Slack, um, is the preferred tool used by Hampton, like Sam Parr and his reasoning that he's, he said is that all those people are professionals and they use Slack already. So they're already using Slack. Um, another one is like circle.so, mm -hmm. right? There's like school S K O L th those Sam types of Muppets. platforms. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it has courses and you could chat and what the, all those do like circle.so does it, does it beautifully is, um, it makes you a Facebook group. Yes. <laughs> it makes you a private Facebook group that you control. Yes. Right. And you can charge a la carte for courses or community membership, all that kind of stuff. And those tools didn't exist like five years ago. Crazy, right? Yeah. They, they, they just didn't exist. There was forums, I think. Yes. Which, which is what the best you could do back then. But there weren't, there's maybe Kajabi, a couple of the tools that were sort of along that frame. But, um, but there's, there's those that where you can completely control it. There's also good old fashioned Facebook groups, which has some pros and cons, but to be fair, everyone is on Facebook, even though everyone says they're not on Facebook. I'm not, you know, well, there you go. <laughs> then maybe that's not the platform for you. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't use it. Yeah. yeah. But I think there's always these new tools coming about, um, that, that enable community a lot more than they used to. I personally, in, in copywriting course community, um, it sounds a little backwards, but we actually use a heavily modified forum. And the reason I chose that over circle.so and stuff and, and I've, I've used circle.so as of even a month ago to see like have the, the, the product features caught up is because we're reviewing such long pages that those Facebook style comments are not good enough. We put, we put tables, we have borders, we have images, we have a lot of inline images, that kind of stuff. And we kind of need that to give the feedback we need. And so a forum it is. That makes sense. Uh, but I wish we could use something like uh, circle.so because we do have a lot of development costs and stuff. Damn. Yeah. But, 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 but really is, it is the tech that is enabling all these communities to start. It's so interesting to think that they're so new and like, yeah. and like all these platforms have popped up at around the same time. Yeah. And I'm sure it's related to the pandemic in some sense, but also just like, to me, I look at it like from a broader perspective, like this is just what the consciousness is, is leading to at this moment. So. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like most of the communities you're going to be belonging to are going to be more online than offline mm. pretty soon. Right. Yeah. And then I don't, we haven't even hit VR level yet. What is that going to entail? I mean, right now it's like, we have to be in the same geographical place. Not really. Cause we could do it online. We could, but it's not great. It's this not is the better. same. This is better. Definitely. Imagine this, but you know, anywhere from our houses. Yeah. But the, the Facebook, the Facebook, uh, the Facebook and Zuckerberg thing is an example right. of like, they did a in-person interview together, but not in person. Right. Lex. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, one's in California, one's in Texas. Everyone should check that out. Just yeah. to experience, just to watch Lex's reaction to the technology. Yeah. So I think V1 of that was avatars being in the, the goofy avatars that Meta used to have. Yeah. And now they're moving to this photorealistic thing that's going to roll out over the next course of one or two years. And then V3 will probably be like really production ready. Oh my God. To where it's just going to be cheap. You could just scan yourself on your phone. It'll have all your, uh, you know, facial movements, all that kind of stuff. And so that's why I think there's something with podcasting where I think like there might be like, I think there's already been an explosion of podcasts, but there might be a Cambrian explosion soon. A Cambrian explosion? Yeah. What's that going to entail? A Cambrian explosion is like the, the, the period of time when life just, just skyrocketed on Earth. And so the podcasts are going to skyrocket on, on Earth? It sounds like everything you need to do to run like a Joe Rogan level style podcast is going to just be free. Mm. right? He has like a studio and a producer and all that kind of stuff, a lot of equipment yeah. uh, and the pull and the, the fame to pull guests and stuff like that. I think all that stuff is moving towards free. Wow. I mean, even in the time that I remember setting up my first studio to now, I'm just like, like, have you used your iPhone as a, a camera? No, but I've, I've seen you. It's can like do a it. DSLR. Crazy. Uh, you can't zoom. That's the only difference, but it has all the, all the software effects. It has more, more capability than those things in a lot of ways. It can follow wherever you go. It's just natively built in as studio lighting. So your lighting can just be whatever crap. You don't have to have all this cool stuff and it just makes it look awesome. Yeah. And so it's like all, all those production capabilities that like, you know, someone had a long time ago is free now. Um, me, Nick Gray and Sam just recently went to the JFK museum 
and they had Walter Cronkite's like original desk over there. It was a desk with a little microphone. And that's all it was. It was pretty simple with like, like some clocks in the background. That was a set. But Walter Cronkite at the time was one of maybe six to 12 people on earth that could talk to like a million people at a time. Yeah. Six to 12 people yeah. on the planet. And there's a thousand plus people working in the background to make that happen. Wow. Right? There's like the guy pushing the switches, the guy doing the lighting, there's like the guy like, you know, moving shit around. It was a whole production. Now you could do that on your phone. Yeah. And so th that's why I think like there's going to be so many more podcasts coming soon. Uh, then I think maybe we've scratched the surface, but I think there's going to be a lot more. Yeah. What if everyone has a podcast the same way everyone has a social media account? I think so. Yeah. And, and that... That sounds like that sounds reasonable. When I heard John Shahidi say that uh, a year ago or two years ago, he's the manager of the Nelk Boys. To mm -hmm. me, I was like, "Oh my god, that that's going to happen." Yeah, I, I mean, I think with the the podcast stuff, so it's like AI voice translation mm. is going to boost things. AI making everything look badass, meaning you don't need all the, the cameras and stuff to look awesome. It just like does look awesome. Um, AI completely creating the supporting content. Dude, this one's already big. H have you- uh, Opus. There's- The tools are are okay. They're not good, but they're going- But you see good. where the hockey puck's going. Yes. You see that like it's going to be good enough in five years. It's not getting worse. For example, I use Wistia for a private hosting. And uh, as of today, someone in my, Leslie in my company showed me a feature and she's like, remember how we used to tag the, the chapters? Check this out. It does it already. Yeah. Are they good? Seventy <laughs> percent. Yeah. But 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 before we used to have none. Yes. And now all the videos have some. Yes. And now it's seventy percent, and it's going to get to a hundred percent, and it's going to get to. And as soon as it gets better, they're all updated instantaneously. <laughs> yeah. we, we do nothing. <laughs> and, so, and so just I think like whatever like whatever system we have powered by like the new AI stuff is big. Oh, also just like uploading a YouTube video, you have to like click all the tags, mm. where it's done, blah, 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 write a description, write about you, write about me, write the links. It's like, can't AI just do this? Yeah. And it can. Yeah. And now it does. <laughs> um, where would you put yourself on the early adopter curve? I love it. I mean, one- I think I, you're like the the 5% on the left side. You think so? Yeah, definitely. Huh. I think you surround yourself with people who are like 0.01. And so it seems like you're behind- but I guarantee you know more about this than 99% of people about where the world is going. I mean, just think about where this conversation went. And we were talking about podcasting and we just naturally just go to that place because of you. And so I think you're like 1% of where you have a, a better understanding than most. Well, 20 years ago, this exact same discussion was happening, except it was about the web. Yeah, it was like going from offline to online. It used to be like we're surfing the world wide web. This, this, like this, there's such an obvious parallel between that and now. Yeah, that I'm like everything you do with a computer is going to have AI. Yeah, that's just like it already already does. Every time you take a photo, there's it, an AI used to be called machine learning ten years ago, but like it will be enabled by AI. And now that we're having this feature, like like ChatGPT came out like a year ago. I know. A year ago. It's crazy. And there's already all this stuff. Th th this is the fastest adoption of any technology, like in the history of man. Yes. And so, and so it's just, and every time it's updated, the whole world just gets it right away. Yeah. That, that, that hasn't happened before, even with like, uh, like back in the, the early tech boom, it was like a oh, Microsoft windows comes out with the new version, but it's like CDs are being distributed in right. the mail. Okay. Right. So there's like a, this lead time that happens. And now it's just so fast that it's like, obviously everything's going to be impacted by this. There's, there's no doubt. In fact, you say I surround myself with some of the top 0.01. Some of those people who are not like public on social media, they're all afraid actually. Yeah. <laughs> that, that I, try, I try to keep it out of my mind a little bit, but I think it's obvious that humans are eventually going to become machines. And, and that's just going to be part of history where we're going to look back at it like people in the Bronze Age, you know, built like hammering wheels and stuff like that. We're going to look back at ourselves like that. Yeah. Like, that's just what's going to happen. It, it's, it's, it's hard going to be a, an interesting transition. But it's funny because I, I loved listening to Sam Altman and, and Joe Rogan. And one of the takeaways that I got was Joe Rogan was, Sam Altman comment that, commented that Joe was neutral about that transition in a way that he hadn't seen anyone be neutral about. Meaning like, oh yeah, humans are gonna be part robot or robots are gonna take us over. But like, that's okay. Like that's just the natural evolution of things. And most people 
feel some sort of like, oh no, in way about that. But Joe Rogan was able to remain neutral to it. Wait, wait, here's what's interesting about you. You will be part of the robot. You will be part of the robot mind because you're on the web. Yeah. And if you think about it, the training data for the new robot mind is and, and what you're doing. Well, and that's why I believe it's so important to think about what are the universal truths and how do I make my being more of them? So like love, for example, is something I talk about all the time. I tweet about. It's part of being like a, a heart-centered person that y- you might laugh at or that Hippie. people yeah. <laughs> or that people might laugh at. But the truth is, if I want the the robots to be trained on any, any data, it's love, right? To connection with each other. So I I think about wisdom a lot and how do you, you instill wisdom in people you talk to if you have the potential to talk to any person ever. So, well, I have no idea how far we are into this. There's, <laughs> there's actually no timer, but I was just going to ask you a couple of random, like, kind of like, I guess, lightning questions or whatever. Sure. Uh, so you're a big podcaster. What is the most popular trend you're seeing in podcasts right now? I think one that's under discussed is co-hosted podcasts. I know my friends Dylan and Henry just launched a great podcast, Smart Nonsense, which I, I watch all the time. And it's the fact of two people going back and forth. You saw Sam and Sean do this great with My First Million. I also listen to a personal trainer podcast with Gary V's personal trainers, um, Mike Vacanti and Jordan Syatt. I love the dynamic they have. And I think it's underutilized, the, the co-host's uh, nature of podcasts. And I think that's rising. I do think it's funny. All the podcasts I listen to are mostly co-hosts and they do have guests on. And sometimes it could be a little bit of a hit or miss. Sometimes you're like, ah, this guest sucks. But yeah, I usually love when like those two are just bantering back and forth. Sean and Sam are a great example. Mark Norman, Sam Arill, uh, Mark Norman and uh, Joe List are like good example, like comedians. They just bounce back and forth. And you're like, these guys just have a fucking vibe. Yes. Like they just back and forth. Like they just know how to do it. And I love hearing that. Yes. You're you, totally right. Cause you feel like you're getting their energy of being in the room with them and their, and you love the connection or I love the connection when they have together, you feel part of that in some way. How have you seen people meet their co-host? How does that happen? Random? I think it's usually just long relationships. Mm. I, I don't think it's usually random. Like I think Joe Rogan and Jamie, if you were to say their part, that that was a random connection mm-hmm. that happened. They didn't know each other a lot before that happened, which I don't know if that's exactly what we're talking about. But if you're looking at Sam and Sean, they were friends for what, five, 10 years before mm-hmm. even pressing record. If you look at Dylan and Henry, they went to college together and built a business for like six years in terms of knowing each other before recording. So I think a lot of these happen. They're long relationships that are built and then they're made public and people love it because they have the connection and the chemistry together. I think it's fascinating that like Naval has this great thing where it's like you work 10 years and then you become an overnight success after 10 years. Mm -hmm. It's like that happens for the podcast too with Sam and Sean. They were friends for 10 years, Mm -hmm. just in their friendship. And then the friendship becomes a success, but they'd spend 10 years working and being friends first. Yeah. Fascinating, uh, right? You know, it's funny. Uh, before YouTube was, before YouTube and podcasting, me and Noah, like in, I don't know, the year 2011 or something like that, we record YouTube videos and YouTube was a, it's like a video host. It wasn't like really like a platform like it is now. And we record these things called Sumo Dojo. And we just went back and forth on a topic. And it was like, me and him have discussed it before. It's like, it was always really fun. Because I feel like me and him have fun conversations in, in the beginning. And then when there's a camera on, there's some extra like level of like, uh, like excitement going on. Yeah. And it was always really fun. And I wish we always continued that. I don't know. We just stopped but because it wasn't like a big profitable part of the business or anything. But that was always like fun. I, I enjoyed doing it. Get back to it. Why not? Like what? Nah, he's bald now. <laughs> I don't want to be associated. Kidding, Noah. <laughs> um, okay. N- another question. If you were to restart your podcast, would you do it alone or with a co-host? That's funny that you asked that. And that was my answer. Um, I would do it alone because I love the ability for it to be just based on my own work ethic and who I'm interested in. Mm. But yeah, I, I think I think doing it with a co-host is great too. I just... I know my own personality type. Do you, do you know what it reminds me of? Uh, I don't know if you know how the music industry works, but a lot of people will say they're working on a project and a project means a band, <laughs> right? And it, it's just like a drummer meets a singer, da, 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 and they just try stuff. And most musicians, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, U2, anything, you name it, they were all part of different projects at one point in time. It's just different permutations of people. And then every once in a while, something just lights hmm. like motley crew all these old like classic bands they always talk about it where like they were in like seven different bands and there's something about this permutation 
worked well. So I think if I were to go back in time, I would maybe do like a co-host with like a couple different people and then maybe a solo one and then see which one took off. I guess that would be a way to like validate each one. Yeah. And I, and I would say I would focus less on which one takes off and focus which one is giving me the most energy. Good answer. Yeah. Well, also not only which one is, is good energy, but yeah, actually, that's a pretty good answer. Yeah, <laughs> whichever one you enjoy the most. Right. If yeah. you enjoy it, then you're going to keep doing it and it's going to get better than it, pos- than it was when you first did it. But but there is something like System of a Down or something like one of those bands that like breaks up, gets back together, Rage Against the Machine. There was something about just like just once in a generation kind of talent and they all hate each other. They're all such strong characters. It's very difficult for them all to work together. I don't know. Sometimes like you may not like your co-host. <laughs> yeah. I could definitely see that like some coworkers don't like each other, but goddamn, there's just some magic there. Is that, that could... worth it for you? I would prefer to like them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's other brands like Green Day that are like, yeah, actually behind the scenes, like we're all like, we're like best buds. Like we've always been. We all hang out together outside of the band. Yeah. So, so I, I would prefer if I had a, something successful with a co-host that they were awesome and I really liked them. That would be better. But, but you would take it. If, if I really hated it? If you hated it, but mm. if, but everyone loved it. This is an interesting question. That is an interesting question. I don't know. What would you do? There's no way that I would prov- provide or present a false reality. Mm-hmm. And so if me not liking the person and then on camera, I'd have to like the person so that people would like it. There's no way that would have, that would Ooh, work. Th- this reminds me of the All In podcast. I think some of them genuinely disagree on like things and they, they openly say it. Yeah. I'm like, that's a cool thing. You're not hiding it. Yeah. You're not being like, oh, we love each other. You're just like, I think you're a, an idiot. And then like, I think that's fair game. Yeah. I, I would do that. Would that's do that. authentic. It's real. Yeah. It's not being someone you're not. All right. Um, 500 or so, po- sorry, 400 or so podcasts yeah. under your belt. What would you do, do differently if you can hop back three years to when you started? I would, I would not lose belief. I would, I, I lost belief, you know, in the 125 to 225 area. But if I had believed, if I truly believe this is going to be successful and I'm, I'm going to make this successful, even though it's not working in the first hundred, I would, I, that's what I would change. Hmm. When you lose belief, you, you don't have an aim, you don't have desire, you don't have like the want and the need to get after it. Like, I felt like I lost that for, for a year. Hmm. And, um. I wish I didn't. So nice. Well, it sounds like a nice place to wrap up. Dude, Danny, appreciate it, man. Uh, where can people find you? The Danny Miranda podcast is a great place at Hey Danny Miranda on Twitter. And yeah, I guess on this podcast. And then when people, if what's your course again? Art of Interview? Art of Interviewing.com. And when people buy that, what do they get? They get four hours of right now of modules, uh, three PDFs on the pre-interview checklist, 100 plus incredible questions. And they get, um, like, send me a DM if you have any more questions on it or anything like that. Everything I've learned in 3,000 hours of learning about interviewing. That's nice. And thanks for sharing some of that here today, too. I appreciate that, man. My pleasure. And I I love talking to you about this stuff. Check out Danny Miranda. Check out Copywriting Course, my stuff, Twitter, at NevMed. Uh, ne- really, if you just Google Neville Medora, you'll probably just find me because there's no one else except one guy in India also named Neville Medora. Is there? Yeah, there's only one other Neville Medora in the world. Wow. Yeah. Have you guys had a podcast together? No, I, I, I've never met him, but we should we should say what's up one time. That would be legendary. Yeah, just the two, there's two people because there's probably other Danny Mirandas out there. Oh, funny story. What? So, I don't know if I've ever told this story publicly. this is is the real stuff Uh, so I'm in San Diego I went to get a a haircut and I look at the the billboard and it has like names on it of people who like were next in line and it says Danny M so I I walk in and I'm like oh wow like I have a a spot with the next barber this is awesome and there's one guy sitting there and it's Danny M and I'm like dude what's your last name and he's like Miranda and I'm like, what? Are you serious? He shows me his ID. I show him my ID. We just have a great moment. I wish I was still in contact with that Danny Miranda. Oh, but, man. But that's pretty crazy, right? Have you seen those meetups where it's just like everyone's named Chris? <laughs> no. And you're just like, hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. And they all just like, there's like some sort of kinship that you're all the same name. It was a, it's a Spider-Man meme. 
over, you know. The, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the pointy one. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Well, that was a fun end of a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Hey, before you go, let me tell you about the copywriting course real quick and what it is. So the copywriting course is, as you can imagine, a copywriting course, right? You watch some videos, you learn stuff a la carte about email, sales pages, web pages, digital marketing, all of the above. And so, of course, you can learn from our courses, but it is so much more than that. You see, one of the reasons that people get good at writing is by practicing writing. So inside the course, you actually get practice by doing quick assignments or submitting your copy to our writers and getting professional feedback on it. And so we have this whole entire members forum, like a specific custom built forum for copywriters. Uh, so you can submit your copy and pro writers will help critique it and rewrite it. And not only your copy, but your images, your tables, all that kind of stuff. It's like having a whole marketing team working on your copy. And many people just join for the forum just to get their copy reviewed, just that alone. But not only that, you also get live help in office hours. That's right. Every Thursday, I hold a live office hours and we hop on a Zoom call and just all the people in the office hours, it's private, so you're not gonna get blasted on the web or anything. And you submit what you want critiqued and we go over it and oftentimes, it, actually most of the time, just rewrite it on the spot or talk about how to make it better. So one of the last ones, someone had a big real estate group and they were wondering if uh, they could make a cohort. And so we wrote up a quick uh, thing, they posted it and instantly they got 80 people interested and over 230 comments on the post asking to be inside the cohort. So little things like that. A lot of times it's just like a little push to get you to do something. And uh, if you go to copywritingcourse.com slash office, you'll see literally thousands of different office hours questions we've answered and all these wins. So you can copywritingcourse.com slash wins to see all the wins that people get inside the course. Um, not only that, we have weekly lesson newsletters that you can get. You can get copywriting certified and you can learn by watching others and grow. So every uh, week there's new stuff inside the community. There's new office hours and you can watch people live redoing their businesses. You get feedback in our forums and you can directly ask me, myself, the writers and the community questions. I mean, it is one of the best values in digital marketing on the entire internet. We've trained people at big companies and small companies, Gartner, AppSumo, The Hustle Wins It, White Rock Locators, Ahrefs, Best Self, Nerd Fitness, and people freaking love copywriting course. Uh, this one guy says, within a few minutes of watching some videos, I was buzzing with ideas on how to change my emails. And the next day we had our highest sales day ever from a promotion I wrote the same day as signing up for the copywriting course. I love hearing things like this where they think they're gonna take like a full year to learn stuff. They learn a few things, implement it, and they're like, oh my God, I literally paid for your course 10X over and I still get to use it. So anyways, go to copywritingcourse.com slash join and join the copywriting course right now. It's one of the best investments you'll ever make and uh, talk to you inside.